judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And mercy triumphs over judgment. In those verses, the word law cropped up three different times. And there in your sermon notes, I have those three listed, but I don't have them as A, B, C. I have them as A, B, B. And that's because of this. I wanted to just point out or I wanted to explain that this first one where he just talks about the law and he uses the particular commandments, don't kill or murder, do not commit adultery. These we know as the law. We say, well, this is the law of God. These are the commandments of God. And so he's talking about the Old Testament law, often which is couched in a negative form that says, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing. Not always, but often um, that's how it it's comes across and it's certainly how it's taken. That's A. But there's also two other places that the word law occurs. One in verse 8 and one in verse 12. The one in verse 8 talks about the royal law. And that's something different. That's why I'm calling it B. A is the law as we read it in the Old Testament with all of the different uh, prohibitions and all the different circumstances that kind of focus on what we better not do. The B... What he calls the royal law is, he says what it is. It's the law that Jesus gave when they said, well, what's this all about? Jesus said, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the top of the heap. That's the purpose of the whole thing. And so James is discussing that as something different. It's law that is wound around, wrapped around, infused in love. So like you have different fibers infused and woven together in a rope. James is saying um, all of the different, and Jesus has said this earlier in the Gospels, all the different strands of what we call the law are woven together. And if you look at it from the most regal or royal point of view, it's about love. That's B as contrasted with A. And then verse 12, rather than call it the royal law, he calls it the law that gives you freedom. And there again, he's talking about love. Because what he's saying is when your focus is on love, then what happens is you're not focusing or you're not constricted or you're not putting your attention on the rule, the, the restriction, the restraint. This is what I can't do. Rather, you're focusing on what I can do. I get to love you. Wow, how many ways is that possible? Um, the, the prohibition says, do not do this one thing. Love says you can do a million things. And so, it sets you free. It's a law that gives you freedom if it's a law that's based on love. So, that's actually the exact same thing that he's talking about in verse 8. So, the royal law and the law gives you freedom. That's why I'm saying it's not ABC. It really is A as one emphasis and then B and then B as something else. In between those, he talks about keeping one part of the law or keeping all parts of the law. And he says, you know, this is a tricky thing. But if you keep the whole law but you miss out on one point of it, 
You're just guilty of breaking all of it. Here's another translation, how it says it. Uh, the person who keeps all the laws except one is just as guilty as the person who's broken all of them. Now that seems pretty, that seems, uh, pretty hardcore. You know, if you're a parent or a grandparent and you tell a little kid, look, I'm going to give you a list of ten things that you can't do around this house. And if you do one of them, it's just as wild as if you did all ten of them. They'd probably look at us and say, Whoo, uh, better be real careful. But here's one way of thinking about it, just from God's point of view. Yes, I'm listening. Here's one way of thinking about it, just from God's point of view. If you were hanging over a cliff by a chain, and that chain is hooked onto a tree branch up there, and you've put all your weight and, and all of your future, you've put in, into the faith that that chain is, and that tree branch are going to hold, and you're hanging way down over a cliff here, you're doing something. I, w- I just wonder, want to ask you, if you would have a preference, which of these two things happen? Here's your two options. Number one, the tree branch breaks, or the chain comes off the tree branch. Option number two, one of the links in that chain breaks. The rest of the chain's fine. It just had this one link, this one bad spot, this one weak spot, and the chain breaks. Just that one, that one link breaks. Does it matter to you when you're hanging on it, whether one link broke or whether the whole chain came off? I don't think so. I mean, you're dead either way. So it really don't matter that much. It's a possible way of thinking about, from God's perspective, that we either we fully follow Him and we fully trust Him and we fully mean it 100% with absolute sincerity. I'm not saying we'll never make mistakes, but either that's our attitude, or, or if the opposite is the case where I really have any skin in this game. I really don't love God with all my heart. But I try to obey the commandments. And I will take it right up to the very line. I'll skate right up to the line. And I'll, I'll stop just short of actually, actually disobeying the letter of the law. But boy, I violate the spirit of it with no problem at all. And he, he, I think he's saying here that this is not the way God wants us to look at it. Let me say it a different way. If I'm told not to do something because there's a consequence, and basically I'm operating out of fear, if I'm only motivated to obey God and keep His law out of fear of doing wrong, it's not going to get me very far because fear of doing wrong and getting caught, while it's terrifying, it's not motivating. If this is all I have to to keep me in line with walking with God in relationship with Him is the fear of what will happen if I get out of line he gets, and He has to whack me. I'm going to soon realize that I have faults that are stronger than my fears. And there's only one solution, and this is what Jesus is bringing to light when He talks about all of the law resting on love and being caught up in love. And that is that love changes the whole dynamic of this thing. If I am obeying God, not not out of fear of disobedience, but out of love 
for God Himself, it changes all the intention of my heart. And that's what matters to God. That's what God Himself looks at. So, if I could use two different words. Do you operate in your relationship with the Lord? Do you operate out of affection and the desire to cooperate and the desire to help and the desire to participate and the desire, the desire, the interest in God and His family and His kingdom? Do we operate out of that attitude that my goal is to be helpful here? My goal is to offer all that I am and all that I have to this that I believe in. And love. Or the opposite side, is it that I just basically am afraid of God? I'm afraid of being a disobedient person. I don't want to go to hell, that's for sure. And I'm afraid to get so far out of line that God might even consider sending me there. So I operate out of a fear of God rejecting me versus God versus my affection for the Lord. Rather, it's my fear of rejection from the Lord. And, and this, is a, this is a huge difference in how, we, in how we see things. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to, I mentioned this, but I'll just put it up here. Jesus said when they came and said to Him, Okay, Lord, what is the most important of all? Of, of all the different laws, what's the most important? And Jesus said, well, it's not too hard to figure that out. Love God totally. Love neighbor truly. In another setting, in another gospel, he's asked it with a little different emphasis. Instead of saying what's the most important, they're saying what is all of it, what constitutes it? What is the, what is the, um, the basis of the law? And he said, well, it all hangs on love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It's, that's the branch on which the whole chain hangs. And so the answer that Jesus gave in both of these instances has to do, has to do with love. And, and what he's saying, if I, could, if I could say it a different way, is that if you can have one positive motive, it can replace all of the negative motives or the negative prohibitions. If I was thinking about this coming into church this morning, I was saying, Lord, I don't even have a clue how to say what I want to say. And this was the thought that God gave to me right in that moment. Where, how are you getting to church? Well, I'm in my car. Yeah, I know. But are you trying to stay out of the ditch or are you trying to get to church? What's your, what's your focus here? Are you going down the road and you're only really just looking at the ditch and the sideway, sidewalk and, and you're, you're not even looking at the road and you're not thinking about... All you're, all you're doing is you're scared to death you're going to run in a ditch and you're trying to stay out of the ditch. If that's your focus, if that's, if that's how it, you're thinking, guess what? It won't be long you're going to run into the ditch. If instead of that you say, I'm on my way to church and you have this lofty goal and you know you've got to drive on the road... You don't even think about the ditch. How many people drove here today thinking about trying to stay out of the ditch on the side of the road? See, we're past that. We're, we're past that in our lives. And this is what the Lord was, was showing to me this morning. That this thing is saying, 
I don't have to go down the road saying, oh, there's a ditch, it's only three feet away. Oh, watch for the ditch, it's getting close. I just put my eyes on the road, and especially I think about where I'm going, and those two things propel me long far past the negatives that would pull me on one side or the other. In other words, if I focus on the prohibition and the restriction of the law, um, I'm still not motivated to follow the spirit of the law. But if I focus on the love, the spirit of the law, I don't even need to worry about the restrictions of the law because they're basically never going to come up as an issue to me. If I love you, I'm certainly not going to kill you or uh, envy you or steal your wife or your husband. These things that we're told not to do, I don't need to worry about not doing them. Because I'm way past that. I'm going somewhere. And that is to take care of you and to celebrate you and to love you and rejoice in you. And so that's why I'm saying that Jesus was making the point that love replaces all these prohibitions as a motive. Now, Jesus never said anything negative about the law. In fact, Jesus said, oh, no, no, no. I didn't come to replace the law. I came to fulfill the law. Jesus was never negative about the law of God, the, the word of God, the expectation of God. But as a motive and as, an, as a method for fulfilling that law, which was his goal, his focus was on love as the issue rather than um, a fearfulness or a negative. And so I had this thought, uh, don't know whether it make any sense to you or not, but this thought occurred to me as sort of an illustration. We all live constantly with new technology that comes along. I don't know what this thing is. But it's just a, it's, it's new technology of some sort, okay? New technology causes us lots of pain and lots of, I mean, you should see Cindy and I trying to figure stuff out sometimes. It's, it's pretty funny. But um, we have this new technology that, that just constantly replaces our old technology. Why does new technology make old technology obsolete? Why does this happen? Why is it that we talk on cell phones today instead of the old... Yeah, anybody there? Why is it that we've moved past that? I want to mention three things. First of all, the new fixes the same problem, addresses the same issue as the old. So we're not giving up anything in principle. Secondly, it's more efficient, usually. Now, I know there's exceptions, and some of us wish we would still back at the, yeah, that's me. Some of us would love to be back there. Because we don't like or trust the whatever we have. But on the whole, I think all of us would admit a cell phone can do a gazillion things and is much more efficient at it than what the old phone. Okay. And here's the other thing. Now, don't laugh. I'm not, I'm not being specific. I'm just simply saying, on the whole, by and large, it's more fun to use the newer technology. Because it doesn't have some of the hang-ups and some of the problems that the old technology has. Just for example, I was reading an article just recently about the invention of toothbrush. 
You know what they use for centuries from ancient Egypt on? I call them twizzle sticks. I don't know. They just take a, a little tree branch, a little twig, and scrub the end of it and get it all fuzzy and <laughs> dig in their teeth with it and try to clean up their teeth and remove debris from their teeth with a, just with a stick. Now, how fun do you think that was? Uh, how did they use to mow their yard? Well... <laughs> Maybe an old hand sickle or, uh, you know, how did they, I mean, would you rather do that all day or sit on a zero turn? And what's it, which one is the most efficient? Which one looks better when you're done? Um, lots of things. You know, I thought about this when I came in here this morning. I'm looking at the clock, sorry. Uh. I remember my father, it was cold morning, and I remember my father talk about how in the wintertime in the small country church where he grew up, they had a stove, a wood stove, and it was up near the front corner of the church, and there were two benches up here next to it, near, happened to be up there where the choir, this was the choir set. And he said, I remember him saying, on the cold winter mornings, everybody wanted to sing in the choir. Because back there, the room wasn't near as warm as it was up here. And I thought, you know, I walked in this building this morning, and this, this, this room, this large room, and it's evenly heated everywhere. And there's not one corner where it's warm, and maybe that'd be a good way to get people in the choir, you know. But there's not one part of it because our technology, the furnace has replaced the wood stove. These lights have replaced candles where you couldn't half see some places, and, you, and, and, and so the light is more even. It's the same problem. It addresses the same human need, but it does it more efficiently, and it certainly is more fun. And I'm simply saying to you, when it comes to love, the, you're, you're, you're probably wondering what the LOL has to do with anything. Ha ha ha, let me tell you. When Carol got this text, or got this note, she said, L-O-L? Yeah, it's the law of love. The one that we tend to think of, and we tend to credit Moses with, we might call the law of limitations. Where it's trying to always put a limit and say, I don't care, what the, uh, it, it was never meant to say this, but this is how it's taken. That we often think that God's attitude is sort of, I don't care what you do as long as you put a limit on it. Just stop short of killing. You can beat somebody up. You can abuse them verbally or emotionally. You can test them and try, their, try them. You can be nasty and mean. You can show them no respect. Go ahead, that's fine. But thou shalt not kill. You see what I'm saying? We put a limit. And we tend to look, now Jesus was trying to say, I think that's really not how it was ever meant, but that's often how it's been taken. That the law was just there to put the brakes on and put, 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 the, put the stop sign in front of you. That's not what the law of love is. And, and if I can go back to this analogy, if I can go back to this analogy, and you think about love as a motivation compared to just trying to put the brakes on your natural sinful human behavior. 
I think you'll realize that love does the same thing, but does it much more efficiently. And it's certainly a lot more fun. It's a joyful thing to love people. It's a joyful thing to live a life of love. When we love the law, I'm sorry, when we live by the love law, we live to bless people. And when we live to bless people, we get blessed ourselves. That's why I say it's a whole lot more user friendly. I could sit here beside you and say, uh, I guess I have to refrain from killing you, but I'd sure like to. You make me so mad, I get so upset, I get so impatient, I can't, I think you're just crazy. I'd, I'd just be glad to choke you, but I won't. Don't worry. Isn't it a whole lot more fun to sit down beside someone and say, How are you doing? I hope you're prospering, I hope you're doing well. I rejoice when you rejoice. I weep when you weep. That's a fun way to live. There's a lot more joy connected to living in that way. Okay, one more thought. I'm I'm done here. But this last part says, verse 12 and 13. uh, It says, Speak and act as people who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. That's what love does. In other words... When, when I love someone, and that's all I've mainly focus on, I'm not constricted to just refraining from envy or just refraining from murder. I can love them in a thousand ways. So if my friend Bryce here gets sick, uh, Jeannie, you might take him some chicken soup and you say, oh, I'm living by the law of love. Cindy, you might... Uh, I don't know what you might do. You, 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 might, uh, you might come over and pray for him and say, Bryce, I hear you're sick, and I live by the law of love, so I'm here to pray for you. Keith, you might go mow his yard. And you say, Bryce, I hear you're sick, so I'm going to come mow your yard. Canaan, you might come and say, Bryce, all these people mowing your yard and making you soup, I'm going to take you to the hospital because you're sick. That's how I'm choosing to love you. In other words, there's a million ways to love someone You have freedom. It's a law that sets you free. It's a law that allows you to express many things from that the Lord has placed within you. But just because we're free to treat people anyway, we as as long as we love them, we're free to um, to be ourselves and not just focus on the side ditch. Doesn't mean that there is no expectations on God's part. Oh, just love each other, and it's all farce, and, and it's just all free-for-all. It don't really matter. Just love each other. You don't matter how much you beat each other up or bang each other around. Just as long as you love each other. What this says, and Tressie, you said last night, we've got to make sure we, we're aware of what the Bible says. And this is what the Bible says. That however you choose to operate, you're not... You're not bringing an end to judgment. You're actually just transferring the terms back to yourself. And so, if you choose to operate in a law of in a, in a path, uh, with a, a, a mode of mercy, then God's going to give that same option, and He's going to see you in that same light. If you tu- if you tu- if you if your path of freedom is very judgmental towards other people and very critical then that will be coming back to you as well. Judgment without mercy. No, speak, let me read it again. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by this law 
of love, this law that gives you freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And mercy triumphs judgment, triumphs over judgment. In other words, let me say it like this. If I exercise my freedom to be merciful, I'm choosing mercy for myself. And therefore, that mercy that I myself not have earned but have chosen is extended back to me and triumphed over God's condemnation of me. Over, over Satan's accusation against me. The mercy has triumphed over the judgment. Um, and, and, that's, and that's what he says. Oh, Father in heaven, uh, we're so thankful that we can see and understand the, the depth of the meaning behind the, the tension of the law that was given. And maybe there, were, maybe there are many negative features to how it was worded to us, but it was never meant to be a law only of judgment. It was meant to be a law that, that motivated us towards um, a loving and a merciful relationship to each other. So, let us, as we ponder this, let us be excited to realize that nothing has replaced the law, but this new understanding has brought out to us by Jesus and by James, is, is, brings out to us that in one way, something has been replaced. But the replacement is more efficient and more fun and more joyful than ever the original idea was anyway. We thank you for that. And we pray that if nothing else is ever said about us in our life, that we can, we can 